Hello, my name is Natalia Fedorchuk. I am a student project manager at the Clark Forum for Contemporary Issues. Today, I am joined by Juan Carlos Celadon, who is the Niels Kadron Professor of Pediatrics, a professor of medicine, epidemiology, and human genetics, and division chief of pediatric pulmonary medicine at the University of Pittsburgh. Thank you for joining me. My pleasure. So to start us off, uh, for those who are not aware of your background and research, would you be able to provide a brief explanation of your most recent research focus or the primary research focus of your career? Sure. So I've always been interested in the pathogenesis or causes of uh, obstructive airway diseases. Those are asthma and chronic obstructive pulmonary diseases in general, but particularly in racial or ethnic minorities. I'm very interested in determining why some racial or ethnic groups have more asthma and COPD than others. And would it be possible for you to touch upon the critical points of asthma disparities that you reviewed in your presentation at Dickinson, and then maybe how these disparities do affect and impact Black, Indigenous, and other communities of color at a higher rate? So in the U.S., the two ethnic groups that are most heavily affected with asthma are Puerto Ricans, and African-Americans. They are disproportionately affected with asthma. Whites are in the middle. And for reasons that we also don't understand, Mexican-Americans are least affected by asthma. The discrepancy in asthma burden between Puerto Ricans and Mexican-Americans is known as the Hispanic paradox, where you have some Hispanic subgroups who are heavily affected and others that are not. And the reasons for that, we're still trying to determine. I see. And in your research, have you done a lot of investigation on the kind of reasons for the Hispanic paradox? Sure. So there are some things, you know, that are quite different between the Puerto Rican and Mexican community. Among them are diet. So the dietary patterns of Puerto Ricans and Mexican-Americans are very different. Puerto Ricans have a very westernized diet that is rich in saturated fats, low in things like fruits and vegetables. Mexican-Americans, particularly recent immigrants, have a diet that is more uh, protein-based, has less fats. There are many other differences. Another one is tobacco use. Puerto Rican women smoke the most and the most heavily among women in all ethnic groups in the U.S., Whereas Mexican-American women, particularly recent immigrants, smoke the least. Other things that differ are social support. So divorce rates in Puerto Rico are very high, are similar to the continental U.S. In general, divorce rates in Mexican-Americans, again, particularly recent immigrants, are lower. And while Mexican-Americans have larger families, there is, in general, a more preserved uh, structure with regard to community and family, which mitigates some things like exposure to violence, chronic stress that may play a role, you know, in asthma. There are other things, risk factors that are common to both groups. So obesity is a strong risk factor for asthma. And obesity is actually common, you know, in Mexican-Americans and Puerto Ricans. Now, one thing that I have to mention is although Mexican-Americans have less asthma than Puerto Ricans, with each generation that they stay in the U.S., the rates of asthma go up. So that the grandchild of a Mexican immigrant has four times the risk of asthma as he or his grandparents. 
that again may have to do with things like changes in diet, lifestyle, etc. And touching upon the increased likelihood of asthma development generationally, looking at research completed in the field of asthma disparities, are there notable things that you can say appear in your research as probable causes of asthma, like environmental pollutants, hazards, unequal access to healthcare? Sure. Most of the uh, data suggests that asthma is multifactorial. And in a given child, and I'm going back to where I did my internship, the South Bronx, where there are a lot of children of Puerto Rican adults, so Puerto Rican descent and, and African-American descent. So if you look at children or adults in that neighborhood, they are exposed to multiple environmental hazards. So they're exposed to outdoor pollution, which definitely makes asthma worse. And most data suggests it causes asthma, particularly in children because of proximity to roads. In the indoor environment, they may also be exposed to secondhand smoke and allergens such as cockroach that makes asthma worse. Because of unsafe neighborhoods, they cannot go out to play as often as kids in other neighborhoods. And therefore the rates of obesity are higher, not only because of decreased physical activity, but also because of diet they tend to consume, unfortunately, more fast food and healthy diets. It doesn't help either that the schools have caught on physical education classes while also providing meals that are generally not healthy. If you look at the meals across school cafeterias in the U.S., they tend to have a lot of saturated fats, things like pizza, hot dogs, and the like. So that in adults, they are very stressed because of violence, either intrafamilial, in the community, etc. So in a given child, so many things are operational, unfortunately. And have you seen or heard about other researchers or publications recently within the field that work to kind of address or eliminate healthcare disparities, maybe specifically with asthma? Sure. So one of the potentially most impactful things, right, we have to wait a little bit, but I think this will have a large impact, is bills, health policies that promote clean air. And California is ahead of other states in this nation in terms of reducing a diesel exhaust by regulating cars, the car industry. That could have a very large impact as millions of people are exposed to pollutants. So that's something that is happening. We have to sort of wait and see over the years how that impacted the rates of asthma. But that is something that is generally actionable. Policies that promote reduction of tobacco use. And those have been somehow effective. But we have to be very careful about minorities because the tobacco industry tend to target them. So I gave an example of mental flavor cigarettes I favor by African-American communities. And right now, the tobacco industry is switching to e-cigarettes. So the growth of e-cigarettes in adolescents across the U.S. is just exploding. And the consequences of that could be quite serious. So there are also efforts, you know, our professional society and others have been pushing back for more regulation of e-cigarettes, age limits, and other things. Because e-cigarettes, unfortunately, lead to substance use. They are associated with increased use of tobacco, smoking, marijuana, and other things. So those are very actionable things. I'm also in favor of policies that promote a healthy diet. 
As you know, because of human behavior, unfortunately, and other factors, those have been harder to implement because of politics and other things, but those could also be quite impactful. And finally, and this is ongoing, right? But exposure to gun violence is a big health problem, not only for asthma, but across other things. Our research suggests that this could also have an impact, but it's still evolving. But regardless of asthma, gun violence is an epidemic in this country for many other reasons. So. And I was curious to know if you see many similarities in health disparities or in asthma disparities between the United States and Colombia. And if so, maybe like it could be elaborate. They are, you know, it, it's interesting, right? One dangerous assumption when you look at racial or ethnic disparities is to believe that they are due to race itself. And our data suggests that that's not the case. So in fact, even though African-Americans are among the most heavily affected, in, on average, they have 75% African ancestry. This varies across the country. Puerto Ricans have on average 25% African ancestry. So a temptation is to attribute the higher rates of asthma to their African ancestry and associated genetic polymorphism, et cetera. But that doesn't, it's most likely not the case. So if you look at populations of African descent in other countries, so if you look at Colombia, for example, we do have Afro-Caribbean populations. There is one in an island called Baru, and that population lives a non-Westernized lifestyle. So very low levels of air pollution, much lower levels of tobacco use, a diet that is more protein-based, fish-based, lower rates of obesity, et cetera. And that population actually has a low rate of asthma. If you look at data from Africa itself, there are generally low rates of asthma in rural communities in Africa. If you compare rural to urban communities in Africa, the urban communities in Africa have higher rates of asthma. So I'm telling you all this story because this suggests that it's not race per se, but rather environmental and lifestyle differences that explain these disparities. This is also supported by our data on epigenetics. So epigenetics refers to regulation of gene expression that doesn't depend on DNA sequence, is heavily influenced by environment. And our recent studies suggest that the same epigenetic marks that are associated with asthma in say Puerto Ricans or African-Americans are associated with asthma in whites. This further suggests to me that is the environmental disparities that explain the disparities in the disease. And therefore, if you address the environmental disparities, you'll be taking care of the health disparities. Your work researching diverse cultures and communities across the U.S., has that in a way that you can see influenced or informed how you teach your students as a professor? Oh, absolutely. For a physician scientist, and I mentioned this, you know, the way your career evolves is you get your clinical training, you get your research training. You have to establish yourself as a researcher. You have to get grants, publish. And then after you achieve certain reputation, you can choose to become, you know, an advocate and a leader. And therefore you have to transfer or transmit that knowledge and passion to your students to make them aware that a structural and social determinants of health determine the environment that people live in 
and ultimately diseases they have. So things like clinical practice, a lot of more people of color are labeled as non-compliant. So you'll see that label non-compliant with treatment. When in fact, if you talk to them in more detail, they may not be adherent, which is a word I prefer with treatment, because they have no money or no insurance or transportation issues or literacy issues that also affect health. And those are things that the healthcare team, you have to be aware of, as opposed to just dismissing them as difficult or people who quote unquote deserve their fate because they don't follow instructions or something like that is far more complicated than that. Those are unfortunate tendencies that people should be aware of. I was just curious if you had any upcoming or new research projects or continuations of existing research that you're either looking forward to or beginning to work on right now that you might. Sure. Um, that's a great question. So one of the, you know, major so contributions that we have made is to show that a chronic stress, particularly resulting from exposure to violence is associated with worse asthma and also with reduced response to treatment. So we are concluding a study to examine whether chronic stress and violence-related stress is associated or linked to reduce response to inhaled corticosteroids, which is an anti-inflammatory medication that is very commonly used in asthma. So some of our prior data and data in vitro suggests that one of the effects of chronic stress may be reduced sensitivity to steroids. And that's part of why, you know, asthma may be worse in people who are highly stressed. So we're excited about that. And then we just started a new study in Puerto Rican and Dominican adults where we're looking at epigenetic regulation of their airway epithelium and looking to see whether that predicts asthma attacks, worse asthma over a period of two years of follow-up, et cetera. The idea for both is to see where we could develop biomarkers of response to treatment, prognosis, et cetera. So we're very, very excited about this. Thank you so much for sharing those two upcoming research projects. And this concludes our interview. On behalf of the Clark Forum, thank you again for sitting down and having this conversation with me. Thank you, Natalia. My pleasure.